Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Card Macross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Card Macross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or cardmacrosscu.ie. Friday morning, the 10th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. In September, the government said it would provide Dundalk Institute of Technology with €18.5 million to upgrade and renovate the north and south blocks so as to expand science, technology and engineering facilities in Dundalk. DKIT said the investment in STEM would result in more lab space and create 760 places across industry-focused disciplines. On Tuesday, the government announced it was investing three billion euro in the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. We discovered on Wednesday that in order to fund broadband, the money promised to DKIT will need to be cancelled or delayed, as well as delaying funding planned for over 2,000 social houses, 18 primary care centres, 9 to 10 primary schools and much more. We asked the Department of Public Expenditure if there is a tangible threat to funding promised to Dundalk. In its response, it quoted Minister Pascal Donoghue saying no projects will be delayed or no changes will be made to the National Development Plan as a consequence of the decision to fund the National Broadband Plan. So the government, it seems, is saying yes, funding will be cancelled or delayed and the government, it seems, is saying no, no funding will be impacted by this decision. Let's talk about this with Sinn Féin's spokesperson on communications, Brian Stanley, and Peter Burke, who's a Fine Gael TD for Longford Westmead. Good morning to you both and thanks for joining us. Peter Burke, why is it so confusing to understand what the government is trying to say? It's not actually confusing. I want to be absolutely clear to your listeners. There's absolutely no threat over funding to Dundalk. It is the job of the civil servants in the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform to challenge every decision the government makes robustly. And we have seen this in many cases. We have seen Mr. Robert Watt come out and say that it's not correct to give pensioners the free travel pass currently, and that made national headlines. But the government took a view that it is essential for the quality of life for our older people in society to have free travel. There have been many... Well, you're, you're right in, in saying that Mr. Watt is challenging right. is challenging the decision, but what he is also saying is that if that's what you decide, the money will have to be found from other departments, such as projects under uh, Ireland uh, 2040 uh, and money promised to Dundalk and elsewhere. No, there are significant other revenue streams available to the government. First of all, we're currently running a significant budgetary surplus 
from last year. Secondly, our economy continues to grow. It's one of the fastest growing economies in Europe. Thirdly, the state does make efficiencies. So every year there are departments which hand back money to the National Exchequer and efficiencies can be found. So the government... So Mr. Watt is wrong. Mr. Watt is pointing out the risks. No, like, no, no. He's like saying, he say, no, he, no he, he, you're right. He did point out the risks. Yeah, he but he also said, but he also said very clearly, sorry, just to make the point, he said very clearly that if this is what you decide, the money is going to have to be found from other departments. Is he wrong? He is incorrect in terms of there are more ways to find money than from departments. Departments are not the exclusive revenue stream to fund projects. We have taxation. We have money the economy generates. We can now borrow at one of the lowest interest rates in the history since the state was created. So there are many revenue streams whereby we can run capital projects. And remember, when a government borrows for a capital project, it's borrowing for the future of our economy. It has huge revenue streams that will be generated from it. It's not like you're borrowing for current expenditure, which will be a commitment that the government has to make year on year. So this is a bold commitment to rural Ireland. We are saying, as Senegal in government, that we are backing rural Ireland with the best gold standard fibre optic okay. into your homes. Okay. Equal so so, so which, which of the options is the government taking? Is it going to tax us more or is it going to borrow more or how is it going to fund this project? It's not going to tax more because oh, our okay. economy mm. employment is growing. Yeah, but so you, when our you, you, economy you, grows, we mm. have more of a tax tick. Our tax tick is increasing rapidly every year. Secondly, we're the fastest growing economy in Europe. Now, mm. that's generating more money into the exchequer. Thirdly, I said there right. efficiencies in departments. And fourthly, the state is currently borrowing at the lowest interest rates since the history of the state. Okay. We've borrowed one point so, so, so that's what the government means when it says it's future-proof, this thing, uh, that yeah. regardless of what happens with Brexit or anywhere else in the world, that we're going to continue to grow the economy, continue to grow employment, continue to increase no, revenue through taxation, and we it's don't have to do anything else to fund this project. You're correct there again, Michael. It's future-proof the project in terms of the benefits attached to this specific project. Mm. This is a very worthwhile project in terms of the healthcare people can access in terms of education in our schools, in terms of the quality of life. People who drive from Dundalk, Drogheda into Dublin to work, who may have the opportunity now to work from home, which will improve their quality of life. People who say goodbye to their kids in the morning at six or half six and don't okay. see them till seven at night. The benefits of this project are absolutely incredible to rural Ireland, and that's why the government is backing this fully. Okay, Brian Stanley, you were telling the doll last night, whilst all that may be well and good, people will end up having to pay and pay more than €100 Euro for the service. In fact, you said they may have to pay several thousand or even tens of thousands for the service. Well, what's happening here is, is that the government has fumbled along with national broadband plan for the last seven years since it promised it in 2012, uh, and they have depicted the worst model uh, and have now walked into a, into a cul-de-sac. Peter's out defending the indefensible here this morning, two weeks out from an election. Uh, what, really, what really has happened here is the government tried to pull a rabbit out of a hat uh, in, in, in the eye of an election uh, so, as to, uh, so as to look good uh, before, before everybody goes to the polls. What's really happening here is, is that uh, they've picked the worst, the absolutely worst model, uh, using a, with a single bidder with absolutely no competition whatsoever, trying to paint it as simply and similar to rural electrification, which is not because that was a state owned, the taxpayer had skin in it, and the taxpayer finished up owning it. Uh, they're going to hand 1 billion euros of the, uh, of the 
uh, almost three billion subsidy will go to another private company called Air to hang to hang cables on their poles and use their ducting when we already have an ESP network mm. uh, and having no idea. We have no idea whether it's one euro or whether it's a million euros or whether it's 50 million euros that McCourt is investing in the project. Well, the government the does. Six years. The government does. The, the, uh, the, the, the figures are redacted in the documents that yes. we've seen. By, in, by the government, so the government the knows. In relation, to, in relation to the connection fee, I attended a, a briefing uh, for nearly two hours with officials in the department uh, on Wednesday morning regarding this, and it's an opportunity to tease out some of the, uh, the nuances of it. And the facts are, is they're saying €100 Euros connection fee for households. But what, what I discovered in that brief, and another sort of discovered, is that the, the connection fee might, to some households that are harder to reach, uh, once the figure goes over 5000 uh, the ha- the household or business or farm will have to pay the full cost. And the full cost, when you go to start running cables across fields, could run to several thousand. But there's already cables going to those households. There's already poles going to those households mm. in the form of electricity uh, cables. And the facts are is that the ESB are already using... Okay, but uh, how many how many households are you talking about in that circumstance? Surely you're talking about a handful relative to the amount of people who are going to be serviced. And even at that, they have the option of uptaking uh, what is available to them, an option that they don't have at the moment. When when a contractor, when a company or contractor goes out, and you ask anybody working in a county council this, or working with any utility company this, if you go out just to fill a smaller hole, by the time you pull up a, a van and bring machinery on site and four people jump out of it and write, write a safety statement and erect a few signs, right, before mm-hmm. they even start digging, mm-hmm. uh, you have a few thousand euros gone. That's, that's the facts of the mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. And there will be a lot of households. There will be a lot of households oh, over yeah, But sure, it would go on to the value of the house anyway, wouldn't it? But, uh, but uh, and you don't have to. I mean, there's no obligation on people to uh, sign no up to it. But I, we're not the ones making the government are making a promise to people. What I'm saying here is the public are being sold the pub here in the eye of an election. This is an awful plan, uh, and uh, people in Fingal are worried about it. We're very, very concerned about it. We've been highlighting the the use of a different model since 2012. Other people, including including senior officials in the department, and it's not just mm. I mean you've referred to the you've referred to Robert Watt, Robert Watt mm. in the finance department. His letter here, which I have in front of me. And I mean, the quotations in that letter, what he says in that letter is absolutely startling. But not just Robert Watts, the most senior official in the Department of Public, uh, Public Expenditure. Also, if you look at, the, if you look at the, the memos coming from the minister's own department, the Department of Communications, Time and Action and Environment, they say, and they said, it, they said it in 2018, and they said it again in 2019, and they just quote one of the relevant sentences, having assessed the potential alternatives, it's concluded that the creation of a dedicated broadband agency in state control would most likely result in advancing the government's ambition of providing high-speed broadband to every premises in Ireland. The government will provide a mandate to an existing or new special purpose vehicle. That's what I'm saying. And, and again, again from uh, Brendan Ellison uh, on, the, on the 1st of April this Another year, senior, he said, servant. Minister, mm. and he quotes Robert mm. Watts here, Minister, we strongly recommend against this plan on the grounds of cost, affordability, value, and value for money, and risk, and he said he, he goes on to say down further 
uh, this alternative course of action should be pursued, meaning a public one. Mm. This should be pursued, and the procurement process should be cancelled. Okay, let me go back to That's very, very start. Oh, very start. Let me go back to Peter Burke uh, uh, on uh, that. Uh, do you believe it's possible to have confidence in the Secretary General and also to have confidence in the Minister? Yes, I do, because both are doing their job. We put public civil servants in place to advise government and we elect politicians to take decisions. And what uh, Brian is suggesting there is very clear. It's the same as what Fianna Fáil is suggesting. It is that we cancel this contract and re-tender again. A tender that took over 30 months because it's very clear on the advice from the Attorney General that if we involve the ESB or any wrong. state agency, you have to re-tender the project and that will take 30 months at least, because this is the biggest project the state has ever undertaken. It's a project whereby it is expensive, but it's the government saying we are backing rural Ireland. And we're saying that we have mitigated risk procedures built into the contract. The maximum cost that can be to the exchequer is $3 billion. Mm. If the company has income streams greater than that in terms of in the future, there's a clawback to the state. If it has less and risk is strong enough take-up towards broadband, well, then the company will be losing its equity. But Grenahan McCourt is investing about 10% of what the state is investing. Uh, that's the estimate. Uh, that their investment is 300 or 400 million, about 10% of what the state is investing, and they end up owning the whole lot. Now, the whole project, in theory, when it's all rolled out, will cost around 5 billion. 2.4 of that net of that has been brought in by Grenahan McCourt through either income streams and their equity dividend. 2.6 billion of a maximum capped net of VAT to the state comes in. So essentially, the state's risk mm. is capped here. It can't cost more than $3 billion over the 25 years, which obviously gives an, a, 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 an opportunity for the state to manage its cash flow. And secondly, it's very important, you know, this is 96% of the landmass of our country. It's a massive project. The Department of Communications and Climate Action gave a 15-page response back to Robert Watts' uh, um, uh, risk analysis in terms of how this project is of huge value, how that in all scenarios under cost-benefit analysis, even when they removed some of the positive matrices from it, it still came out on top because the future benefits are immense to our society. It will transform our country and the government is saying to rural Ireland, we've got your back. Okay, Peter Burke, I, I, know, uh, I, I, I know you have to be elsewhere, so thank you for joining us. Let me go back to Brian Stanley. Uh, can I ask you the same question that I asked Peter Burke, and without taking sides, if you like, because there's two very different sides in this debate, two government voices, if you like, the Secretary General of uh, the Department of Public Expenditure and the Minister for Public Expenditure. Is it possible, do you believe, regardless of who you believe is right and who you believe is wrong, to have confidence in both? at the same time if they're both saying different things? Well, what, I, what we have to do is look at what everybody is saying and make up our own minds about it. And if you look at the facts, the facts are, and it's confirmed in the documents, and it's being confirmed as well in the discussions around it, that by 2028, the private operator is projected to have received we, uh, this unknown sum in dividends and interest, together with a repayment of a redacted sum of initial capital share. And while the state will have spent up to $2.44 billion mm. by, 2020, by 2028. In effect, the operator, the private operator, the private investor, they will have all their money paid back, while the exchequer, in other words, the taxpayer, your listeners in Loud and Mead and wherever else you cover, right, they will, they will have, could have paid out up to $2.5 uh, uh, So the only ones taking the risk here is the taxpayer. They're going with the most expensive, the most riskiest, 
uh, awful plan that you could imagine. And that's and the view of the senior civil servants. Uh, but uh, without looking at the different views, uh, just a purely political question, do you believe it's possible to have confidence in both at the same time? Because it, it would seem to me as though each are in contradicting opinion, the other. In, in my opinion, the, the senior officials in this case are right. Mm. And, and further to that, we have a further concern about this that came to light in those briefings the other morning is that the structure, imagine this, imagine this, mm. the, the, the taxpayer is going to put in three billion. It looks like Grandin and McCord are going to put in somewhere between 300 mm. and 400 million. In other words, 0.35 of a billion, around one third of a mm. billion. The taxpayer puts in nine times more, three billion. And there's going to be a, a structure set up called NBI, National Broadband Ireland, right? And imagine this scenario, Mike, that on the board of that, despite the fact that the taxpayer is putting in nine times more money, there's nine members, going to be nine members on that board. How many of those are going to represent the taxpayer? One of those is going to represent the taxpayer. I used the diagram in front of me here that we were given the other morning of the, of the management or of the, the corporate structure. And the minister gets, gets to select one member. David McCord gets to select eight members, mm. eight members of that board. Now, anybody that's been at a board meeting of any company and they sat around the table or they sat in any committee of the local residents' association will know that when a vote is taken, the majority carry it. So the majority of it will carry any decision. The taxpayer is left completely at the mercy of what's going to happen here in terms of they have absolutely, we lose control of this. Mm. Our, our control, particularly beyond 2028, McCord, Granite and McCord is left with a valuable asset. Okay. Absolutely no imagine, imagine this, if you will. Uh, imagine that the senior civil servants are wrong uh, and that it's right to go ahead with this and uh, that uh, they are uh, really giving bad advice to the politicians. Surely their position is not tenable. If that's the case, but what, what I'm getting across to you is this, but, is that but, we, have to read the, we, we haven't been waiting for the civil servants to tell us this. Mm. We have been saying this, Sinn Féin have been saying this since 2012. Michael Clarivi, my predecessor in this role... But we're talking, we're, we're talking about the civil servants who are advising, they are the permanent government, they're advising the politically elected government on how to spend €3 billion euro or asking it not to spend this €3 billion euro in this way. They and if, if that advice, which is so serious, is incorrect, well, surely they're not capable. Surely their their position is not tenable and surely the minister can't ignore that. Uh, and he either takes the advice on something as important as this or he, he looks to the people who's advising him. You were asking me to make a political call on it here and our political call on this is and has been for a long long time. I've been very consistent about this over mm. the last three years as spokesperson on it for the party. We are absolutely clear that this is the, the way the government is going is the wrong way. Mm. I, warned, I warned the previous minister Dennis Nocton he became a prisoner of this pro, uh, process and became a casualty of the whole process. Mm. We, the government is now putting, putting the taxpayer at the mercy of this process. It's locking in future governments into an awful plan, a bloody terrible plan. It's the worst plan you could think of because the taxpayer and the taxpayer's interest and the people in rural Ireland who need broadband, there's no certainty. There's question marks over whether this 
can be rolled out using this model. Mm. And that's also been raised many times, not just by us, but also... I, I know, but I, you see, see the, thing, the thing that I can't understand, uh, and uh, maybe it's an issue that you don't want to address, but maybe you'd recognise that people listening to us would like it addressed, because I can't understand how the Minister can look us in the eye uh, and continue to work with people he believes is giving very wrong advice on how to spend 3 billion euro. Uh, I mean, it was painted out in black and white what that means uh, with uh, the eight or nine primary schools, the 2,000 social houses, uh, the nine primary care centres. And that was just one and a half billion, apparently. Yes, there's a huge number of cuts, and that's that's a judgment for the minister to call. What I'm saying to you is that Sinn Féin and government would have went with a completely different plan. Mm. We would have went with a plan that would have meant that there would have been cable hanging, hanging on poles by now. There's not one metre of cable hanging on poles. And after this is finished, in 25 years' time, the taxpayer, despite having buried billions of uh, euros in it, will not own one pole or one yard of cable. That's the facts of it. Well, it's the, the cable finishes up on the poles. The, the, mm. the, the investor finishes up uh, with the, owned the valuable asset uh, finish it up with a with, with a lot of profit made over that period yeah. of time. The taxpayers left completely exposed, and that's assuming it works. The key issue here is, is that rural Ireland needed this broadband seven years ago. Seven years have been wasted by the government fumbling along with a, a pursuing a plan that's an awful plan. Mm. Two weeks out from the election, they then come along and pull a rabbit out of a hat and say we're going to sign. You know, in principle, it may be a rabbit out of a hat, uh, but the senior civil servants say it's a a daft idea. We have to leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, That's uh, Sinn Fein's spokesperson on communications, Brian Stanley, also with us, Finnegale TD for Longford Westmeath, Peter Burke. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the No Excuses campaign starts today and it's to run over the next uh, three years. It'll feature sexual harassment, unwanted sexual activity and uh, efforts uh, to prey on someone who's not in a position to give consent. Let's talk about this with Nolene Blackwell, who's uh, the chief executive executive officer of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Good morning to you, Nolene. Thanks for joining us, as always. Uh, And I'm sure uh, people wouldn't want uh, people to engage or try to engage in sexual activity without consent. Uh, But are are you sure? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people saw uh, clips of this on the news last night uh, and the idea of taunting somebody by uh, pulling their towel off. Uh, Are you sure this this isn't political correctness gone mad? So what this is showing up is behaviour that we can sometimes take for granted in the world we live in today. Um, You know, uh, hitting on somebody, um, feeling them up, um, uh, that sort of ribble behaviour in the locker room, um, trying to, uh, trying to, you know, trying to make lewd jokes in front of your fellow employees, even though you can see that they're uncomfortable and you're all the happier because of it. That kind of behaviour is actually behaviour that goes on all the time. Are you allowed to play, to to, to tell dirty jokes at all? You, you, uh, uh, look, this is, I think what, mm. what this is going to show us, Michael, is that there needs to be a debate about what is and is not acceptable yeah. and when is it not acceptable. And I suppose that's so the conversation the, I'm trying to have with you now. Is, yeah, is, is, yeah. is it not acceptable to try and pull somebody's towel off if they're trying to pull your towel off and that's what the lads always do and always have done? So actually, that's one of the things. That's actually on the edge 
of very serious bullying and abuse. And you really have to be very careful. And I think it will be a great opener for a conversation amongst mm. young people, people in sports clubs and the rest of it, about respect for other people, respect for their bodies, only engaging in activity that is consensual. Because while this is about sexual harassment mm. and seems a distance from the discussion around consent, all of this comes back to the fact, is the other person happy to have the conversation with you? Does the person want to trade dirty jokes with you and is that, are you just having a bit of fun about it? Mm. Is there somebody else listening into that who is actually being upset and harmed by it? Because if they are, stop it because you're, you're taking liberties with somebody else's privacy with their right to have respect for themselves and other people. And I think that's where sexual harassment is at. It's not about political correctness. It's about correctness. It's about... Are you you sexually harassing somebody because they don't have a sense of humour? So I think the thing is, and what we are definitely finding out, and we know because we hear it on the National Helpline the whole time, one person's sense of humour is actually bullying another person, is upsetting another person. Somebody might think something is very funny, but they're not taking account of the other person who's involved or the other people involved in the conversation. And I think that's what this is bringing up. Because actually, most conversations and most people don't really want to have or, or do things that are upsetting other people. So this is setting up a situation where people can recognise that sometimes behaviour that they think is funny is really extremely hurtful. And I think it's asking people to stop that, saying there's no excuse for that, and also asking the rest of us, where, for instance, we're in a group of people Mm. and somebody is leading off with something we know is off, we know it's just a bit, it shouldn't be happening where we see something happening in the workplace that we know is just uncomfortable for the person it's happening to, that we, that we call out that behaviour and we ask other people to stop so that the wider society says, actually, we do have standards of behaviour here and we do know that some behaviour is hurtful and upsetting to others and can actually damage them. But do we, all, telling- do we always have to approve? Do we always have to understand each other? What happened to Venus and Mars, ACDC? No, 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 no. Yes, people have always liked the chase, to be chased and to chase. Yeah, and, and, and that will still continue until the end of time. But where it goes to a stage that what you're doing is harassing somebody, where you're bullying them, where you're making them uncomfortable. Nobody wants that. I don't think anyone wants to flirt to a point that they're making the other person uncomfortable. So this is a case of recognising there are two people involved in the chase. And where the other person says, back off, listen to that, respect it. And where the other person is being pushed into a place that they feel they can't say anything hmm. because society is against them. Tell your friend to back off as well. And, and but if, for example, Nolene, report. she says no and he backs yeah. off, she could end up very disappointed. Uh, I mean... Oh, yeah. R- I'm sorry, this, this is the discussion, I think. And, that's, and, that's, and I think that's something that people would hate to see lost. Yes, and, and that's a conversation then for everybody because the traditional thing as you say where the man was supposed to come forward in a pushy way to be aggressive and the woman was supposed to be passive and and not express preferences all that is changing people are changing everything is changing about our society right now women are changing in their understanding of the right to respect for their own bodies men are changing in their understanding of respecting women in a way that recognises them as equals 
So in those situations, we have to rethink language, we have to rethink behaviour, and above all else, if people are behaving respectfully to whoever they're with, if there is a decency and a respect in the conversation, sexual harassment just won't happen. But it happens so often. It, it looks as if maybe at least half of people will report sexual harassment over the course of their lifetime, in the course of their social outings. That's, that's people saying, mm. it wasn't just fun, it wasn't just a chase. I was disrespected, I was hurt and harmed. And I think, and so we're really glad, those of us who work on the issue of sexual violence, are really glad to see the government highlighting how you could, how this kind of sexual behaviour can become normalised, how it can seem to be okay, but how it is deeply hurtful and actually if it raises the discussion and the conversation so that people are debating what is and isn't all right and people are looking at the other people involved and God, it never occurred to me that you could have been upset by those conversations we have in the office or by the way I, I touch you during the lunch break. If those kind of conversations can happen, then it is money well spent by the government. Okay, well, the conversation is underway and will go on for the next three years and we should mention as well to people if uh, they wish uh, to speak to somebody uh, about sexual violence or something that they're just not comfortable with, uh, there is a 24-hour helpline provided by the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and that's 1-800-77-8888 1-800-77-8888 Nolene, thank you indeed for joining thank us you, as Michael. always. Nolene Blackwell is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you're being asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In this constituency in the European elections, there's 17 candidates who are hoping to take the four seats. In between now and polling day, we hope to speak to each of the 17 candidates. And today we're joined by Dr. Dilip Mahapatra, an independent candidate uh, for the Midlands Northwest constituency. And good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, and I was asking you to help me to pronounce your name before we went on. I hope I, I got it right, uh, but uh, it, it's not a very Irish sounding name. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Are you Irish born or where are you from and why have you decided to stand in this election? Thank you, Michael, for having me here. Uh, no, I was actually born in India. But I came to Ireland in the 80s, and since then I've been practicing as a doctor in various health boards. Those days it was a health board. Now it has become HSE, so I rotated through various hospitals, including major hospitals in Dublin. Um, You're based I, in Dundalk now. I'm based yes. in Dundalk, mm-hmm. and uh, I came mm-hmm. from a doctor's family. You know, My father was a dean and uh, director of a medical institution in New Delhi. Mm. Um, I was born in a small rural village in Odisha, but uh, we kind of uh, grew up in Delhi. Okay. So my education was in Delhi. So I suppose you'll be known to some of our listeners anyway as a, a medic, but why do you want to be a politician? Okay, um, good question. You know, All these years we've been trying to actually do things for the shortcomings in our health service. And I've been uh, talking to a lot of uh, our politician friends and uh, those people who matter. Nothing seems to have moved. And then one day I was thinking about it and realized, why are we asking people to do things for us? Why can't we do it ourselves? So that is the reason I said, look, 
let me give it a try. Let us do it for ourselves. And mm. that was the main motivation factor for me. Okay. And if you were to take a, a seat in the European Parliament, how would you hope to improve health services in Ireland? Okay. Um, uh, as you might be aware of, there was a pilot project which was sanctioned by the European Parliament many years ago for developing 15 primary healthcare centers. I don't know what happened. So there was a trial anyway. Uh, my interest would be, if I do get in, to rejuvenate all these projects and um, try to get things moving both in the acute hospital sector and also in general practice. And um, there are certain ways of doing it. Uh, it will be a short time today to discuss in mm. detail. But what I can say that there are choke points in the acute medical service, like uh, admissions into emergency departments, admissions into medical assessment units and into inpatients, and last but not least is the outpatient department. So we have a lot of waiting lists uh, being generated over a period of time, and it's not getting any less because we are not uh, solving it. We are rather mm. managing it in a sort of a uh, needs basis, you know. Mm. Uh, and what, what, and what's that to the heart of the problem, do you think? Do you think it's a question of money because uh, it's a very well-funded health service? Um, there are two things here. Mm. Uh, there is a bit of a problem on the distribution of the money. We might have the money, but it's not being distributed where it needs. So that's definitely a point which needs to be discussed. Uh, if we had that sort of a distribution, we wouldn't be closing down our smaller units. Mm. Our smaller units, the county hospitals have been closed. What is the reason for that? Is it just because of lack of funds or is it because of lack of other resources, including human resources? So that needs to be done upright. I don't think it was a very good idea to actually centralize the health service where Everybody is saying that the doctor should go or a physician go, should go to the patient. Mm. We are actually having the other way around. The patient is actually going to centralized places. And Centers of excellence, they, as they call so them. So we yeah. need mm-hmm. to actually decentralize and get our small hospitals up and running and uh, to rejuvenate our um, general practice to give them more uh, funding opportunities because most of the problem comes from there as a sort of a referral problem because uh, uh, there's not enough uh, resourcing, you know, and they are being overloaded with a lot of things which they are not able to properly discharge because of Mm. the lack of uh, resources. Now, as you come to the other side of the coin, that is the infrastructure development, we think uh, it would be a good idea to have a targeted infrastructure development, you know, and I'm delighted at least we are moving in some parts in the right direction, like the National Children's Hospital, you know. Mm. Um, I have a the bit most, of a concern. The most you know, expensive hospital uh, in the most, world. That's yeah. what I'm coming <laughs> is uh, Due to some reason or other, it has become one of mm. the most expensive hospitals. And um, I w- the other reason is that uh, um, Dublin is, in, in, in central Dublin, it's not an ideal uh, mm. place to have an acute hospital because of other uh, problems, like even simple things like car park. Um, it should have been um, moved away from the center of Dublin to some periphery, you know, maybe James Connolly or some other site like that would mm-hmm. have been much better option. But anyway, mm-hmm. at least we are doing something yeah. there. And there's a lot of people who uh, mm. agree with you. And there's yeah. a lot of people who wouldn't, uh, quite yeah. obviously, uh, yeah. uh, as uh, I suppose uh, our experience uh, proves. Uh, but when it, it comes uh, to the health service and how it's configured, uh, I, 
think there's a, a lot of models uh, across Europe which is similar mm-hmm. to the Irish model uh, the centres of excellence uh, where the patient travels to where the best doctors are the best equipment and all of the resource uh, towards one speciality is based. Uh, and if that's the case in France or elsewhere, how could one Irish MEP change the system here? Okay, um, let us look. Uh, okay, France. Let us look in, um, at Spain, for example. You know, they have a three access point for uh, getting people in into acute services. Um, that's one of the reasons they have been quite successful. Mm. Um, we have a single access point, you know, that um, we have a referral uh, from the GPs and then they go into the acute hospital services for whatever the needs are and also self-referral. Uh, people going, but we don't have targeted in a multi-access point, you know, and that's one thing can be changed with a bit of a deep thinking, and for that we need innovators, you know. So I consider myself to be an innovator because I'm in the health service for a long time, and we need more innovators uh, um, because. Mm. One can say we are all working hard. The hospital doctors and the nurses and the uh, general practitioners, they're working hard. But why are we not producing opt- optimal result? The, this is the reason mm-hmm. that we're working hard, but we need to actually target um, different sort of a models. And especially I think this is one of that where we can have a multi-access model. The other thing is that we have projects which are running up and running in member states. Why can't we actually get some euro money to at least start, kickstart a project mm. on pilot basis in some part within my constituency, you know. Um, I will prefer even to start in Dundalk, my home um, town and constituency. Um, we can mm. certainly try that, and that is one of the reasons. Now, beside that, this is not the only mm. thing I'm going to do. Beside that, I'm also thinking of the 74% of our population who basically are coming from the farming community. We mm. have a problem with the CAPS payment, which will probably expire towards well, the I end of the I was just going to say, time. you have many strings to your bow, yeah. uh, because uh, whilst you're a doctor and you're focused on health, uh, yeah. you have other issues, and yeah. you're a member of the IFA, are you? I'm a member of the IFA, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a recent meeting, mm-hmm. and so I understood their concerns, you know. And uh, one of the CAPS payment, which is um, about 187 euros per hectare of land, and after tax, it's reduced further. Mm. Um, as you would be aware, the CAPS payment was maximal in 2014, and it has reduced since then. There was no reason for this reduction because the European subsidy, which includes the CAPS payment, the Pillar 2 payments, and the greening fees, is basically to provide our farmers to produce quality food for us. And if you are not able to do that, then our standard of food production is going to suffer. You know, So I'm all for it. I want to preserve it and actually to increase it to 2014 standard. That was the best year for us. And if possible, you know, we'll do that. Uh, there have been concern about the use of Roundup. Uh, France has banned Roundup, uh, glyphosphates. I see no reason to actually ban this because okay. that is causing a mm. lot of uh, no, mm. issues with the farmers. Cancer. Uh, yeah, the, but... There is no hard evidence, you know, because the absorption of that is very minimal in our food chain. 
Um, and this actually reduces the productivity of the farmers because the herbicide is essential for a proper growth of mm-hmm. this, and that needs to be done. Okay. These the, are just some of the issues. Uh, and fortunately, our time has run out on us today. Yeah, and the student issues, quickly. I just wanted yeah. a quick mm-hmm. word on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm all for the student. Um, there are grants available mm-hmm. which you are not uh, utilizing or underutilizing, and these grants are to the tune of $27 billion in all member states. We okay. need a big piece of that to come here to okay. help the students to get the applications in through that. And also, I'll try for the internship placement. We have 12,500 um, places, you know, including the um, the grants and the internship placement. Okay. And maybe we can return to some of these issues yep. uh, because you I will be back so. to us, uh, I think, uh, before debate, polling yeah. day. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to go because of uh, the news headlines. and We can't stop thank the talk. You. But thank you for coming in to us this morning, Bye. Dr. Dilip Mahapatra. Uh, who's an independent candidate in uh, the European Parliament election for this constituency, the Midlands Northwest? Michael on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws, while independents and others are being chosen to participate through draws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in the Kells electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the seven available seats. After the break, we'll debate the issues with Seamus McDonough of the Workers' Party, Peter Farley of Fine Gael, Johnny Gurk of Sinn Féin, and Peter Devon, an AIM2 candidate. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, our roundtable debate is in the Kells area today. As I mentioned before the break, we have four candidates with us. Seamus McDonough of the Workers' Party, Peter Farley of Fine Gael, Johnny Gurk of Sinn Féin and Peter Devon of AIN2. Good morning to all of you and you're all very welcome and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we've uh, talked uh, predominantly to first-time candidates uh, to begin with uh, during these debates and we'll do that uh, again today. Peter Farley, uh, you're uh, first time candidate I think first time candidate yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why, why have you decided to put your name forward and why Fine Gael <coughs> well I suppose the reason I put my name forward is because um, I felt that our young people in our community isn't being looked after good enough uh, we had the issue there with the driver's licences and mm. our uh, vision licence drivers and I felt they were hard done with because a lot of our older drivers had uh, it's still on vision licenses, so a lot of people couldn't in rural Ireland. A lot of people couldn't go to work, uh, and we have no do, do, infrastructure. Do you, work, do you work in transport or are you a driving instructor or anything like that? You, you no, seem to I'm have a lot working. of uh, um, issues relating to the roads. Uh, yeah, because I'd be I'd be on the road every day. Right, um, yeah. I'm in the agricultural game, right. and uh, we know a good bit about the roads. But I felt that the structure that's there at the minute, with a 49 percent failure in mm. driving tests, there is something wrong mm. uh, when we have 49 percent failure. There has to be. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
another structure put in place for our provision mm. license drivers. And, and no disrespect to you, I mean, you must be as old as me. <laughs> why, why, why are you so interested in young people? Basically because our youth is our future. And if we haven't the youth on the roads uh, learning experience mm. when they are young, uh, we're going to lose that. Mm. And I felt that the structure... Um, if them having the provisional license, doing the twelve lessons, mm. coming along, then waiting six months before they can apply for their test, um, the lessons is forgot about, mm. and they have to go back in and have the lessons again. Where I feel, when you apply for your provisional license, you should also, when you get the provisional license, apply for your full license. So it's when your twelve lessons is up, you'll be nearly at your test point. Okay, let me talk to another first-time candidate, uh, Peter Devon of the AIN2 party. Maybe you tell us uh, why you've uh, decided to put your name forward and why AIN2, which is a new party in itself. AIN2, I think, captured my imagination when it when it came on stream about, about four or five months ago. Uh, sorry. Uh, it, would, it, has, um, it has a raft of policies, if you read the website, that are very interesting to me. And I found, as a 46-year-old man with two small children, uh, working a, a single income coming into the house, I felt that the government wasn't treating me very well. Mm. And I felt a, a bit betrayed by my government, in fairness, by a lot of the things that were going on. I'm quite angry. And uh, I feel like I want to make a difference. I want to stand up and do something about mm. that. You're a secondary school teacher, so I'm sure you can identify with a lot of the things uh, the other Peter was saying. Do you like the idea of young people learning to drive at a young age? I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm a lot of people would be very worried about it, you know, because uh, a lot of the road deaths uh, involve young people and road accidents. They do, but I think that's more connected to narcotics and dr- drink driving and that kind of stuff rather than, you know, the fact that there mm. was... I mean, it, it has Sp- been... Speedi- just, speeding and donuts, boy racers, all that, that image? That kind of thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Which, which is... Uh, burgeoning because of the fact that Gardaí, there's not enough Gardaí in the country. But, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that if we have... Uh, I mean, I, I've read statistics recently that the best drivers in the country are young people. Mm. But the fact that they're taking drugs and drink and allowed mm. to do that is what causes so many mm. problems. And I think the younger you learn, the better Absolutely. a driver you'll be. I'm, I'm a testimony yeah. to that because I learned when I was late. I learned late. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just, I'll just tell you, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of helpless in here today, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of which, uh, jo- <laughs> Johnny Girk, uh, we are talking about driving on the roads. Uh, you've had a, a problem with the roads that we drive on in Kells and North Meath. Not a lot has changed over the course of the last five years, has it? Um, a little bit, Michael. Um, like uh, Since we went into the council five years ago, um, roads funding to the Kells area, um, regional and local roads funding, has increased from uh, 20% to at least 34% every year, which over the lifetime of the council would have made a difference to the Kells area of at least 6 million. The, o- the other thing that hasn't changed and that um, needs to change is there's 181 roads in the worst condition, red roads, in, in the Kells area. We've come up with a, a three-year roads programme that's only taken care of 46 of those roads. Mm. So there's 135 of those roads um, that will not be done in the next three-year roads programme. So, um, like, I voted against the roads programme on that issue alone because we have no plan to deal with 135 roads that's not going to be resurfaced. We have... um, I I challenge the council to come up with a plan, even if it's a five-year plan, to deal with 
uh, 135 roads. Well, any plan needs to be funded, doesn't it? And I mean, this is always uh, the question that uh, is impossible to answer. How do you achieve it, given the extent of the problems? Well, like, um, you've listened to it a good bit uh, yourself, Michael, over the mm. last um, couple of weeks there about uh, underfunding from central government. Like, um, you've heard it um, again and again. We're the lowest funded council in Ireland from central government, mm. um, 31 out of 31. Like, if we could only get up to the middle of that, uh, 15, 16, it would make a difference of 70 million to the mm. people of Mead, you know, yeah. which which would do a lot for roads, housing, mm. um, all, all the issues we have, playgrounds, you know, all the issues that, that blight the North Mead area. And we are paying for this uh, because you always end up paying for something uh, one way or another and quite often the way that people pay for it is by replacing wheels or long-term damage to the car or whatever the case may be but uh, I suppose uh, you could argue that a good driver will always adjust to the conditions. Uh, Do you like the idea of young people learning to drive at a a young age uh, and perhaps uh, the idea of putting it on the curriculum? I think it's a good idea. I think um, like even between certain hours of the day um, you know you could definitely do it where they could go to work um, the, you know where the parents don't have to drive them to work and things like that would definitely be an asset to, to the young people and it, um, the young people are the future as mm. Peter says you know and okay. the best of luck to them Okay and Seamus McDonough it's difficult to live in this part of the world without driving uh, and yes. whether you're on narcotics or whatever uh, a lot of people would argue that you should be able to have a, a pint this has been a, a, another big issue over the course of uh, the last 6 or 12 months uh, and the clampdown on drink driving and that people are automatically disqualified. Is that something that you agree with or disagree with? Well, I think that obviously nobody can go down drink driving or driving other narcotics either. Mm. But like, I think if we have to trust the young people of uh, Ireland, like, you know, they say they're sensible. Mm. 99% of them are sensible. No, but the young and yeah. the old people. The yeah, idea the old, of yes. going down and having yeah. a social pint or going out tonight yeah. and maybe driving tomorrow and losing your licence if you're stopped well, by the guards. I don't agree with drink and driving at any time. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm totally opposed to that or driving other narcotics. Mm. But we have to train people. We have to give them similar responsibility and mm. if you're talking about young people training part of the training should be a responsibility mm. and respect for the roads and respect for other drivers the but the, the, the change that meant that uh, instead of getting your penalty points uh, if you're caught between 50 and 80 yeah. milligrams that you're automatically disqualified has met with a, a lot of objection in rural Ireland you agree with it though do you? Well I agree with it but I, I can understand the objection because like you know people in rural Ireland like you know I come from Wilkinstown myself mm. which is very much like a rural area and I know it's very difficult for people like if, they, if the pub doesn't like look after people getting home but mm. usually you have a designated driver my brothers and all and mm. sisters who live in the Wilkinstown area they all mm. they go to maybe go on a lock wherever they go to but they always have okay. a designated driver and that's yep. how they work it out and I think other okay. people have to take that responsibility for themselves. Yeah, so. Does anybody have an issue with it uh, because some people are concerned that there'll be <laughs> losing their licence by going to Mass the morning after, they'll go home with a designated driver and lose their licence the next day. I think it's draconian, to be honest with you. I, I, I think it is. It's, it's too harsh. Peter Devon of too. So, sorry, from the perspective of, of, of yeah, the, ne- the next morning going mm. to Mass or wherever you go, you're stuck in your home until 2 or 3 in the morning, until 2 or 3 in the afternoon, so that you feel safe going out. Mm. Uh, I think it's way over the top. Mm. And from the perspective of... Is it uh, different in Kells or in the hinterland than it is in Drogheda or Dublin? I presume it. I mean, obviously it is because obviously people have to drive further to go to Mass or further to go to see their families or whatever. So go, mm. go to sh- <coughs> shopping on a Sunday. People do that and want to get it out in the morning or something. Uh, go go play play a game of golf. You can't do that until like, the afternoon. Mm. Uh, but I think it's, there's a, b- a bigger problem with older people that want to go for a jar during the week 
and they're, they feel like they can't because they can't come home. Uh, and I think that's a, a big concern. And loneliness in the rural areas is, is a big problem, which leads to serious mental health issues, which mm. is more expensive to state again. Mm. So I think the, there needs to be another, a bit more thinking behind it, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah. You wanted to come in there, Peter Farrelly? Um, I suppose the thing about it is um, there is a limit. But if you're driving your car the next morning and you happen to be a lorry driver and have mm. a lorry licence, it's a different limit for you. Mm. And it's very, it's it's very limit, unfair yeah. uh, that because you have a lorry mm. licence, it is your business. Uh, you have to drive, we say, on Monday. But if mm. you've got with the same limit as your neighbour that doesn't drive a lorry, you were put down. Well, you have the same and limit as a lear- learner permit holder. Yeah, but yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's a different mm-hmm. limit for the yeah. man with the lorry licence yeah. than it is for the man with mm-hmm. the car licence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, like, it's it's an unfair situation there, but it is loneliness. Like, the lad will say going down for his pint or two at mm. night to the pub and going home, he's yeah. going handy. Mm. They never were a problem. Mm. But since we have changed the system, our debt still hasn't stopped. Mm. Uh, on the roads and that's a big issue mm. we need to look further into well, our I think we've seen a, an increase this year on mm. uh, top of yes, the figures from last year and uh, they will go up a, a, and down a little bit like that but if you're not going for a pint and you are sitting at home are people sitting at home frightened uh, feeling isolated insecure Johnny yes. Gurk I think, Michael, um, as well as um, they're going for a pint, uh, things like um, no Garda in the local mm. Garda stations, um, closing rural post offices, mm. all that has a detrimental effect on rural Ireland. You know, mm. In fairness to the people of Canner Ross, um, they, they stood up and, and kept their post office open and, and uh, Maria Murphy and, and Seamus and... Um, the, the Gibney family and they all deserve a lot of credit for, for fighting for their post office and keeping it open you know and fair mm-hmm. but I think it's it's a host of things um, that's affecting rural Ireland um, the, the going out for a pint at night is one of them uh, but post offices guard stations um, ev- everything else mm-hmm. um, is, is, is destroying rural yeah, Ireland and this kind of ties in with the earlier conversation about the roads we've some very good roads uh, mm. as well as the bad ones yeah. uh, and uh, the criminals are coming down from yeah. Dublin and elsewhere on the motorways and escaping very quickly on the yeah. motorways and it seems as though there's nobody in pursuit Yeah well that's another thing Michael I, what I would like to say I would like to see the guards deployed more for things like that than um, you know um, stopping people with one pint or that you know I would mm. I would, I would like to see them uh, dealing with uh, drug dealers I would like to see them deployed more to places that's destroying the youth of Ireland you know, so that's that's where I would like to Shane see. Shane do you think people feel isolated and frightened on occasion in their own homes? Yes, yeah, certainly they do. Like you know, and I mean, all the local Garda stations, like in Nobber and small towns and small pinches drive, they're all closed now. At least they had the security there when the Garda stations, the extra mm. bit of security, but they feel nothing now. And as you said already, people, criminals travelling from across the border and travelling down in from Dublin and all that. And certainly there's a fear out there because I've I've known Palmer, I know people that had the house broken into not once but twice. One person mm. was three times as Palmer place was broken into. Like, obviously like that's an issue for, for the, and of course it makes people feel isolated but everything is closing down in rural Ireland they're closing down like you know the guys the stations they're mm. closing down any the post offices I said we already fought and won a case in Canross to keep Canross post office open but all those were issues where people or places where people met you see in a rural area it's more than a guard the station it's more than a post office it's more than a school mm. it's a place for people to meet and congregate and discuss their own issues and discuss that and all these places will be closing down rural Ireland has been des- destroyed at the moment mm. in time and some of the these properties are vacant and uh, derelict. derelict yes. You've a habit of going around counting yes. uh, vacant properties. How many vacant properties are there in, in Kells at the moment? 
I, I, I don't know the exact figure, okay. but it's 60 something. I don't know the exact okay. figure. But you go to Kells, but not just Kells, mm. Old Castle, Nobber. I go everywhere mm. I go. I always take it. Don't a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And I take a photograph and I put them up. And the massive reaction I got to what was the, the two empty houses in Dunconder's eyes. Like mm. people themselves. I was in that boy, and a, fellow, a young man came up to me as yeah. a student, and he was shocked. He was talking about. Um, um, Developing the area, you know, the centre yeah. of Dumba, and mm. not just uh, a boy, but you have the same in Shockland. Like to regenerate them towns, mm. like, like Kells Town, you have Maudlin Street, you have yeah. Carrick Street, you have all these empty houses. <laughs> Every second house there in Maudlin Street bottom is mm. empty. And what, what, what's the bear rating in these houses? I don't know what the bear rating yeah. is, but there's no house like Is there ventilation? Yeah, have they got see, fire blankets? Michael, I worked in construction all my life, yeah. and there's mm. no way you can yeah. do a house. I'll bring it up to modern standards mm. and make it a useful housing unit. There's no yeah, way but that... Are, uh, what I'm getting to are, is if the standards are, are too high. Uh, yeah. are, would people be willing to move into some of these houses without the houses reaching the necessary standards? People are desperate for houses. No point saying, like, you know, mm. people would move into anything at this moment of time. But, but we do need to set standards as well, and we need to keep our standards mm. for people to live. But the houses that can be done up, and there's houses like I know a house in Kilberry, for instance, like there was, and the person that was living in the house has now has now died, mm. and they had a um, what you call it at the back glass uh, mm. what, uh, at the back of the house, and that was taken down the by the conservatory, conservatory, yeah. and that mm. was taken down by the council, like for somebody to move back into the council that was in the condition it was what well, ridiculous thing to do, like you know, mm. I'm sure everyone would die of the little conservatory at the yeah. back of their house, and all that kind of mo- the money was wasted on that. But we need to do is uh, like you know, well, well, well you'll, you'll hear councils uh, insist on perfectly good windows being taken out yes, uh, yes. and changed uh, because they don't meet the standards yes. in terms yeah. of being able to open yeah. in a certain but, way or that. Uh, 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 what you call it a, a smoke alarm uh, has to be taken out because uh, they don't trust the tenant in the house to change the battery they want a, a, a smoke alarm that will last 25 years or something I think, like, you know, you have to look at that whole situation about mm. CPOs and that taking over these buildings. And obviously you want a proper standard of housing and that for anybody that's moving into them. But to look at the derelict sites, like Kells Town itself, it's a town that's only an hour from Dublin mm. now at the present moment of time. It's wide open for development. It's wide, wide open for, invest, uh, for investment, mm. for re- regeneration. Like, And the regeneration of those towns, the towns at the heart of rural mm. Ireland. Like, and we need <coughs> all those areas, whether it be Nobber, Old Castle, that by... Because uh, we need them all regenerated. We need Johnny Gurk, we had a bit of a housing problem when you were elected a Sinn Féin councillor five years ago. Now we have a, a crisis. Uh, and uh, in the five years uh, that you've been a councillor, you've watched this develop and grow. Uh, is there any end in sight, do you think? I don't know, Michael. Um, yesterday I called up the housing um in, in, in Navan to find out about um, a fellow who's on the housing list. He's on the housing list since 2008 and um, they told me that he's seventh on the list that um, they're dealing with 2007 applicants at the minute. That's 12 years, mm. you know. And when you so, look at these <coughs> empty houses that Chambers was talking about, do you think people would move into them as they are? There's a lot of people would, um, Michael, if if they're in towns and that, because um, they have they have, they have transport. You know, um, houses out in the country are not um, ideal for some people that don't drive and that. You know, so mm. it's it's a it's a balancing situation. But there is a serious serious housing issue when when you're calling. Um, on behalf of somebody to, to find out where they are on the housing list and they're on it since 2008 and we're dealing with 2007 applicants and he's seventh on the list at the minute mm. so like that's the truth Michael and, and that's from yesterday 
Peter Debenov, AIM2, when you hear the government talk about this and say that they're doing everything they can, they're putting all the money available to them into it, uh, but it takes time, we have to be patient, there has been a lot of progress uh, and so on. Uh, How do you feel about that, given that it's such a a problem in rural Ireland, let alone in urban Ireland? There was something like 248 houses, social houses built last year in Mead. Uh, There's a waiting list of 3,500. Uh, there's 87,000 people people waiting for a house in the country. Uh, so it's pathetic, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, when you think of the fact that they're spending now £5 billion I heard this morning on the broadband plan, and uh, they're wasting about a billion and a half on this hospital up in, up in the James's Street, uh, wh- why are they not spending more money and getting roofs over people's heads? So you don't want broadband? I do want broadband, of course. I want a, a, mm. a good plan. You just don't want to pay for it? Ah, of course, of course I want to pay mm. for it. But I mean, I think, to be honest with you, they're talking about um, <coughs> seven years to, to, to flag mm. this up, flag this out. They're talking about one company. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, myself, the way I look at it is the private companies will have it all sewed up in mm. the next five or six years anyway. But, uh, I think uh, there are some who'd argue that there's no cheaper way of delivering it to every premises in the country. Uh, well, th- there are people and they would argue that satellite is the way to go. I mean, uh, I'm no technological genius, but I can tell you that uh, five billion is an excessive amount of money to be spending on that particular thing. All right. Uh, Peter Farrelly, Farrelly of Finnegall, I uh, did ask uh, your colleague, Damien English, uh, the junior minister for housing uh, recently, uh, if people were concerned uh, about the crisis, uh, would uh, it not uh, be right to vote anybody but Finnegall? How do you respond to that? Well, I think um, since uh, when Yale came in, things has changed. Uh, yeah, it's got a lot, a lot worse. <laughs> it, has, it, has, it has got worse. Well, look, at the, the scheme is there at the minute. There is houses being built. Uh, there's probably not enough. I think the biggest problem we have at the minute is the labour end of things for, for doing work. Mm. Uh, there is a big shortage of labour and there is a big shortage of contractors for the jobs. Um, and I think that's a big issue as well because like, it's very hard to get staff nowadays um, the I suppose the, there's not as many people on the dole around as there was. There's very few, or should be very few at the minute. There is actually no excuse for anybody not working at the minute. And as regards all the houses, when you go around um, canvas and see all the houses in rural Ireland that is idle, it, it is a shame there should be something done with them because yeah. the next thing is they're, they're in good shape at the minute, but if they get another three or four years, they're going to be derelict and they're not going to be a nice sight. Okay. Um, the other thing is on on the... The crime end of it, like when you go to doors after eight, like all the doors is locked and people is nearly locked in for the night mm-hmm. at eight o'clock. True. So like, a lot of legislation is 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 causing isolation with these people. They're afraid to they're afraid to go out, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that's the issue that's there at the minute. We need more more guards on the ground, mm-hmm. and I think that is a big issue in rural Ireland. Okay, well, um, we hope that they'll go out on the twenty fourth of May and cast to their vote, regardless of who they vote for, because. Uh, it is uh, such a, an important thing and uh, perhaps uh, you'd all conclude by asking them or explaining to them why you think uh, you deserve their vote and uh, we'll go around the table to do this uh, beginning with uh, Seamus McDonough of the Workers' well, Party. I've been campaigning a long time as you know Michael around on various issues water charges Johnny already Karen Ross post office I led the campaign to, uh, to repeal the 8th also I, po- I was probably the only person that opposed the 8th in the very first place in 1983 and I was living in Avon at that time and I mean I've, I've, been, I've been fighting hard on behalf of the people 
people. I led the water charges campaign, believe it or not, it started off in Kells. It became a national movement which we won in the long term. In the long term, I opposed the property tax. So I'll be pointing on every issue that concerns the ordinary people. And just one thing I'd like to say about the housing situation. Pien Gale can't solve the housing because they're ideologically opposed to the answers that's needed, like in actually building public housing and public, public property, and they're not willing to do that. And I have to mention of all things, our dear rebuttal will kill me, is the, um, the bus stop outside the primary care centre. Like it has, It's a massive issue for the mm. people. As mm. I mentioned, dear, jokingly, but it is a massive issue for the people, the people who are disabled and people who are a man and walking sticks. Mm. I had to go out there yesterday to get out to the thing. So that's a massive issue as well. I've been pointing on all those issues. Okay, uh, Peter Farrelly of Finnegale. Uh, I suppose the track record I have over the years, I haven't been involved in politics, but I would have a track record if anything that we did take on to do would be done. We, we'd be one of the original founders of the Blue Jean Festival in Appai. Um, we founded Farm Contractors Ireland in 2012. It's going well and it also it sits on the board in Brussels after European contractors. I would have been heavily involved in the local post office uh, that it didn't close and uh, lucky enough it didn't. Uh, I would have campaigned on the road issues uh, to get potholes in that field and I think there's a, a better structure can be put in place uh, because I'm on the roads, I know the roads and the road safety issues as regards visibility and all that on the roads is not being looked after okay. enough. So I think a lot of people knows me and knows that when I put the shoulder of the wheel, it, it goes round. Okay. Johnny Gurk of Sinn Féin. Thanks, Michael. Um, <coughs> Most people know that I worked very hard for the people uh, of North Mead. Um, I, I would have helped um, secure funding for areas that would have got very little in the past from Ballinacree, Old Castle, Myla, Dromone, Ballinach, Crossakeel, Killallan, Kilskear, at Bay, and up to Rakarn. Um I, I would have, um, myself and Michael Gallagher, um, we fought very hard to get the roads funding increase from 20% to at least 34% every year. That's an increase of 75% since elected and making a difference to, of at least 6 million to the Kells area over the lifetime of this council. I will never put anybody ahead of the people that elected me. And to continue this work, I ask the people of the Kells area to vote for myself, Michael Gallagher and Matt Carty for Europe. Okay, thank you. And we'll conclude with uh, Peter Devon, who's a candidate for the AIN2 party. Well, AIN2 is a new voice, a fresh voice uh, for the people of Ireland. Uh, We're tired of the way things have been going over the last number of years. We think the system's broken. We want to fix it. Uh, I myself personally am a hard-working individual and I I would be completely dedicated to what I I do. Uh, I have a vision for Kells, (coughs) that Kells should be more of a tourist hub uh, and certainly should it should attract a lot more people than it's bringing in at the moment. Uh, and I have a vision for the fact that young people have nothing to do in Kells. There's nothing there for them to do. We need a community centre. We need something for them, some place for them to go. Okay. Uh, they're very disaffected at the moment. Uh, and uh, on the issue of housing, I think we need to also look at the at a plan for private housing too. I mean, social housing is absolutely important. But we need to look at a plan for getting people who are rent- paying hand over fist for rents to have some kind of a way of buying a house. Okay, thank you indeed. Uh, And thank you to all of you. All of the debates are being uh, filmed and on Facebook Live if you want to give a a nod to your supporters as we wrap up. And thanks uh, for coming in to us uh, today. Seamus McDonough of uh, the Workers' Party, Peter Farrelly of Fine Gael, Johnny Gurk of Sinn Féin and Peter Devon of Ain Too. 
Michael Reed on Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages uh, that have come to us over the course of the morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And good morning to everybody listening in. Going to go first to some of the response to the debate just there from the Kells area. John got in touch. People are drinking at home now because they are afraid ultimately to go for a social drink. This is not a good thing for children to be looking at, says Mm. John. Joseph also contacted us. The drink driving laws have had an enormous impact on those living in country areas. I don't think that those in government realise the effect that it's had. Many people are afraid to even take a drink because of driving the next morning. Your guest is right. It is a huge concern. Andrew and Kells got in touch. Seamus McDonough is a great man, has worked tirelessly for the people of Kells for many years. Don't rather he's a relation of Seamus yeah. now, didn't mm-hmm. say. Um, we also had contact from Louise who says that there needs to be more done for the young people in Kells feel that there's very little to do for young people and with so antisocial behaviour creeping into the area this is what councillors need to be looking at and the council. Okay, a lot of feedback to the debate. Uh, there was another debate although it was a short debate and not a, a very well attended uh, debate in the Dáil yesterday. Less than TD, 10 TDs in uh, the chamber when uh, the Dáil declared uh, climate and biodiversity emergency. This was uh, Fianna Fáil amendment that was moved by the leader of the Green Party but it got all party consensus and therefore was accepted. Let's talk about what it means with Catherine Devitt who's head of policy with the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition. Good morning to you Catherine and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think yeah, uh, some people were surprised uh, indeed uh, there was a, an international response uh, to this move 16 year old Greta Thunberg welcoming it and saying who's next? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose Ireland is um, among uh, just a small number of other countries now that have declared a climate emergency. And um, it's what makes Ireland quite unique in this sense is that it's actually tied to uh, a blueprint now for action um, that must be or that should be put in place if, if the government is serious on tackling climate change and environmental decline. Uh, so that should be put in place uh, over the next uh, number of weeks in the year ahead. The blueprint from the Oireachtas Committee? Absolutely, yeah. So this uh, cross-party um, special uh, committee was set up last year and they pr- produced um, quite a comprehensive report there last month. And this report essentially lays out uh, some 40, 41 recommendations uh, for the government um, across a whole range of, of different areas. And I think just to say the recommendations, they're actually quite kind of practical, quite common sense. There's there's nothing new. Um but what the the the, the, the vote that was passed last night, um the government have now uh, accepted and endorsed um this report and the recommendations that it contains. And this is tied then to this declaration of a climate emergency. So I suppose what what makes this great, I mean many would argue that fine, you've now declared a climate emergency, what mm. are you actually going to do about it? What's great now is that well this this uh, blueprint for action now exists and, um, you know, that that's there. What we're expecting now next week is uh, Minister Bruton to um, publish the all-of-government plan, uh, which has been promising now for a number of months. Uh, and this is a plan for all departments uh, on, on climate action. And what, as we, we as a coalition have been um, consistently arguing that the a report from the Joint Committee should really 
seek to incorporate or should be integrated mm. and cooperated. Are, 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 are you optimistic? Because I, I think as a, a nation, uh, we have a history of talking to talk. Uh, but if you take international development aid, overseas development aid, uh, for example, we don't always walk the walk, do we? I, I don't think we have a choice. I think it's in our national interest. It's in the global interest uh, to uh, really get serious and step up to the plate in climate change. But do you think uh, everybody agrees with you? Um, does everyone agree? Mm. Um, and this is and this is the political uh, conundrum uh, because uh, whilst uh, we may feel that we don't have a, a choice, people will feel that they're not going to pay extra for petrol or diesel, or they're not going to stop using fossil fuels, or whatever the case may be. The reality is that um, what the the choices that we take now will, uh, you know, it's an investment for the long term future, and uh, the, the the kind of costs and the investments that we make now um, will actually save us money in the long run. And I think that that's important. The, the reality is that Ireland is, is lacking and is a laggard on climate change. We now have an international reputation. Our own Taoiseach has even acknowledged that we're a laggard. Mm. Uh, so and then and then went on to say. I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate. But the reality is that, uh, you know, Ireland is facing considerable fines in this area. We've already signed up to the Paris Agreement. We have targets for 2030, mm-hmm. for 2050. And as we saw last year, you know, we had uh, a drought which affected our farming sector, which put uh, water pressure on our, our urban centres. And and we're seeing that climate change is already hitting some of the hardest or some of the most poorest and vulnerable regions of the world. And I think, you know, we have a a responsibility, um, even just in terms of our reputation as a country, to really kind of step up to the plate. And that political mandate is there uh, for for that ambition. And also, we we certainly, what we're seeing now is that the public, um, there's growing concern among the public. We see more and more people taking to the streets. We see students taking to the streets. And we're hearing that it is uh, an issue on the doorsteps in terms of the upcoming local and European elections. Well, if there's so, still a world to save when our young people become adults, uh, I'm sure that they will act. Uh, it's uh, finding uh, the agreements uh, from those existing adults at the moment, which may uh, be the argument that needs to be won in between. We have to leave it there for the moment, though, Catherine, and thank you okay. indeed for joining us. Thank Catherine Devitt is Head of Policy with uh, the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition. Now, back to you and more of your comments. What else have you got for us, Yes, Marie? we've got some response to the debate at the top of the show regarding the broadband. Mm. Uh, Tom from Naving, I'm all for backing rural Ireland but this seems like mad money to spend. It won't even be owned by the state from what I can make out. Of course, Sinn Féin are going to whinge about this, says Jim from Drogheda. Sure, don't they whinge about everything that the government does? But what would they do instead? They never seem to come up with solutions. Eileen says this government thinks nothing about the the overspending. All we have to do is look at the National Children's Hospital. Seamus from Drogheda phoned in. Saw Hall Martin on the telly throwing his hands up in the air, Michael, complaining about the government being out of control. There's only one way to bring in control and that's to bring down the government. If he thinks they're running out of control with the country's finances, do it, bring them down and have an election. <laughs> so that's his thoughts. Okay. If Fianna Fáil had a real leader, uh, they would go to the people to decide on this three billion that's been spent, says another listener. Hi, Michael, do you remember the e-voting machines? They cost millions, were sold for pittance. Sure, it's only taxpayers' money. God help my grandchildren living, my grandchildren living in this kip 
scandal after scandal, no accountability anywhere, says Dennis from okay. Scaries. Strong words there. Absolutely. A lot of them. Thank you to everybody who has been in touch with us. We leave it there for the moment and uh, thanks for bringing us uh, those calls and comments this morning, Marie. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. The ongoing criminal feud between drugs gangs in Drogheda was raised in the Dáil with uh, the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, uh, yesterday by local TDs, Fida Falls, Thomas Byrne and Declan Brannock and Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd. The drug situation didn't just happen overnight and for some years now I've been holding meetings locally with local uh, voluntary bodies and indeed with ministers also. And in particular, the fact that in County Loud over 40,000 needles are exchanged annually, 40,000 annually in the County of Loud for the last year, which was uh, 2018, for which we have numbers. So there's a huge dependence by people on drugs. But yet we don't, in the middle of this very serious drug crisis in Drogheda, we don't have, we don't have a proper outreach service. Declan Brannock said the problem is known to be bad in Drogheda, but that it is not exclusive to Drogheda. Drugs, criminality, antisocial behaviour, raids on the elderly, indeed, bank machine fraudulent activity are all part of life of the Garda Shikana and it's not unusual uh, to the northeast in any respect, but it's a slight Drogheda and other areas of a slight microcosm of what's happening right across the country, except it has been exacerbated in Drogheda. Crime is a scourge on all our communities, but in particular uh, at this point in time the focus is on Drogheda. Uh, I think uh, crime is becoming, uh, and particularly gun and knife crime, becoming the expected rather than the exception. Uh, we know, Minister of the Public Order, uh, offences are up 9% year on year. Uh, and there's a growing sense of lawlessness on our street. All you have to do is pick this week's two local newspapers and see tackle the drug crime and that's coming from Dundalk. It's not just Drogheda that's experiences some of the rural villages and indeed as far away as Dundalk are part of this particular one. We need it tackled. I wrote to Drew Harris on the 18th of November, Minister. I haven't even got a response asking him and I asked you as well to meet the JPCs, to meet all of the Oireachtas members. Thomas Byrne expanded on how widespread the drug-related problems are extending into East Meath. I attended the uh, protest in Drogheda last Saturday and one thing that I have uh, come across in, in Drogheda and in East Meath, it has to be said as well, is a sense of fear uh, that people are simply afraid of what might happen next. And while the Garda resources uh, that are coming to Drogheda are welcome, I would be concerned that new Garda would have appropriate mentoring and training uh, dealing with the situation. But I also do want to draw your attention, Minister, to the situation in East Mead as well, and the Ashburn Garda district, which is obviously adjacent to this. Unfortunately, Loud and Mead are in different Garda regions. Uh, and I would be the, uh, and I've raised this to the JPC in Mead, uh, that the greatest possible cooperation would be, would be undertaken there, and that any armed support for Drogheda uh, would also be, be available to East Mead as well. The Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, was taking questions about the drug-related feud in Drogheda, but didn't appear to be as willing to discuss problems in Meath, Dundalk or elsewhere. My understanding, Concorda, is that this is a debate on, on violence-related issues in Drogheda. Perhaps you might confirm. Thank you. Uh, and can I say that in that regard... I'm acutely conscious of the serious concerns of the people of Drogheda. I totally condemn the disgraceful criminal behaviour and reckless violence committed by a small number of violent thugs in that area in recent times. In particular, 
I condemn the extremely serious issue of drug-related intimidation, which impacts greatly on our communities and as society as a whole, but especially on families. I'm advised that Angarda Siakana and the National Family Support Network have each concluded their own separate evaluations of drug-related intimidation reporting programme and have jointly agreed a number of actions in relation to the programme going forward. These include actions relating to training existing members and new recruits from Angarda Siakana, organising a conference for designated inspectors to share knowledge and experience relating to drug-related intimidation, holding a joint agency conference to include designated inspectors and agencies working in the drugs area. There will also be an internal programme of communication regarding the programme within Angarda Siakana, as well as external promotion of the programme through the media, external contacts, various forums. The National Family Support Network will continue to run training in the field of drug-related intimidation. The implementation of the Joint Action Plan is crucial to the overall response possible to the issue of drug-related intimidation. While the reporting programme is found to be effective in its current form, the jointly agreed action plan is designated to enhance the effectiveness of the programme through training, the sharing of knowledge, awareness raising. Whenever about plans, local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, highlighted how there is infrastructure like CCTV that is already in place but not working. There is another issue in relation to CCTV in the area of Moneymore. When the Minister visited, we pointed out the issues there. The fact is, and this is not the responsibility of the Minister, but this is the area which has been worst affected by a lot of this crime, and the CCTV is still not working. The local authority are only now putting together a proposal to reinstate it. I would ask, Minister, I'll be meeting the manager tomorrow. I would ask that you would do your best and your department to fast-track that. There's nothing more important than people knowing that any criminal who's walking the streets with a petrol bomb or whatever that they're seen on CCTV and the Gardaí see and can act on it. And Declan Brannock told the Minister that while the dull debate was tabled about the problems in Drogheda, he insisted that the problems are in fact regional-wide. I've said Drogheda is a microcosm and I'm saying to you, Minister, uh, while it may not get out of hand to the degree it has in Drogheda, I'm saying watch the space in relation to what's going on in relation to criminality. This is not about politics. This is about operating together. And that's why I asked that the the local politicians of the JPC be met by you and by uh, Commissioner Drew Harris, that we could, on the ground, get to grips with a lot of what is going on here. I want to say this, that what has happened in Drogheda, some of the innocent people are being intimidated both in Dundalk, in Dunlear, in Clotterhead, and indeed... The uh, uh, Superintendent Mangan has acknowledged that. I'll just conclude and say this. I welcome any move and the, the boots on the ground. That's an interim measure. Indeed, you've appointed an additional five to Dundalk, which hasn't been flagged, which is great to see. But what I want to say to you, Minister, there's a, you, we're along with a short term that needs to be a medium and long term. The task force needs to be brought in the 24-7 to target these criminals. Dealing with Deputy O'Dowd's issue, the greater resources to engage young people and to ensure 
that these people don't find their way into the criminality that's going on in our region. Thomas Byrne reinforced the point uh, that drug-related problems are not exclusive to Drogheda and also how Drogheda's problems are felt outside of County Louth. I know the Minister seems to take exception, um, possibly, I don't know who to, about Drogheda, but he he should know as well that a significant part of the town is covered by the Ashburn Garda District uh, and a significant number of the criminals, it would be said as well, live all around East Meath. Uh, who are involved in this particular feud. So it is of serious concern uh, to me, and I know it is to you, Minister, as well, and I appreciate that. Uh, And I am concerned about resources. I'm concerned about the fact that the two areas are in two different regions. Uh, And I did uh, get assurances from the Chief Super and me that there was ongoing cooperation, and I know that there is, and they're doing their best. Uh, But the resources in Drogheda, and they're extremely welcome and needed, uh, need to be matched as well uh, on the Ashburn side as well. And and just that the Minister and the Commissioner can satisfy themselves uh, that full resources are there, and that maximum cooperation is going on to get the type of results that were achieved actually today and yesterday uh, in the area uh, and that this will actually give the people confidence that this has been addressed as well as as other members have said uh, the underlying issues which obviously uh, are there uh, and have to be dealt with. Deputy Minister to conclude please. I I want to uh, assure the people of Drogheda that the Garda authorities continue to advise that every effort will be made to disrupt the activities of these groups to arrest and prosecute offenders to deny access to road networks for those involved. Liaison is ongoing with the relevant stakeholders, including the local authority, and I welcome Deputy Dowd's meeting tomorrow, and TUSTA, and the HSE, and I know everyone in this House wishes them well in their endeavours, and I want to acknowledge the support of Deputy Brannock also. The deputies will be aware that there were a number of successfully targeted operations into organised crime in the Drogheda region recently. Seizure of drugs to the tune of €110,000 at Moneymore before Christmas. One person charged in that regard. Discovery of three firearms on a consignment of drugs at Boyne Rovers, Drogheda in March. On the 10th of April, four residential properties were searched. One vehicle was seized for examination. A quantity of suspected cannabis and cocaine with, with an approximate value of €5,000. A quantity of mobile phones were also seized. Three men were arrested in relation to this. The Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, concludes our programme for today and indeed this week. Hope you have a lovely weekend and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartmac Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmac Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartmacCrossCU.ie.